Um, remember if, that, especially if you've been joining us, if you haven't, this is a, a good uh, introduction that we are looking at how the gospel has to be the starting point for us if we're going to press in to what matters most, if we're going to live out our theme, which is loving God and loving others as we love ourselves. So um, we're going to wrap it up by sort of doing a review of what we've covered. And hopefully we can put it together in a way that then you can apply. Let me read to you the passage that we're going to be referencing a bit this morning. It's John 15, 9 through 17. So Jesus said, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I commanded you, that you love one another. Alright, so the big idea for this morning is this. The gospel gives us the resources to love well, right? Which has really been the whole premise of this sermon series. So first, let's uh, succinctly just state uh, what the gospel is. And this is not the only way to talk about the gospel. There are a variety of ways, but let me offer this to you. The gospel is the good news that Jesus did everything necessary for the sin of the sinner to be paid for and forgiven so that the sinner could be reconciled to God be free from the power of sin in their life, and one day be freed from the presence of sin altogether when God removes sin and Satan from his world for good. All right, so how did Jesus do this? Well, Jesus, he became our substitute, right? He lived a perfect life that we were supposed to live but couldn't. Um, he then died the death that we deserve for the lack of love that we exhibited in our life. Right? He paid the penalty for our uh, sin of failing to love God supremely and loving others as we love ourselves. Um, and he rose from the dead, showing his power over sin and over death and over Satan, and demonstrated that his death was counted, God counted it as a payment for us. That's what the resurrection shows us. And so the result is this, any sinner willing to admit their brokenness and turn from it to Jesus for rescue can be rescued and share in Christ's victory. This is wonderful news. This is earth-shattering news. This is the greatest news the world has ever seen or heard. Now, the premise of this series is that this gospel provides the resources we need to love well, because the benefits that the gospel provide are unlike anything else you're going to uh, find in the world. Um, and we can be grateful for these things. So the benefits a person receives when they believe the gospel, they receive a new Lord, a new identity, a new heart, new power, 
new family, new future, new purpose. So this is what we covered in the sermon series. We took a week to look at each one of these benefits that the gospel provides. Now, what I want to do is next really hone in on how these benefits give us a greater ability to love well. Um, did you notice how many times love was mentioned in the passage I read to you? Like Jesus was so focused on love, right? He, it's repeated in that passage. The best definition of love that I've probably come across outside of 1 Corinthians 13, that's usually read at weddings, is this. And I like it because of its brevity, but its biblical accuracy. Check this out. Love is the commitment to fight for the highest possible good in, a, in the life of another person. That's what love is. Uh, I like this, this definition. And the best tool that I have come across that helps us really uh, visualize and grab a hold of this definition is called the support challenge matrix. I want to teach this to you because this has been such an eye-opener to me on how I can love like Jesus. So let me just teach this tool to you. So you got four quadrants, right? And the top right-hand quadrant is the quadrant you want to be in, the liberator quadrant. Now, here's the thing. None of us are naturally liberators. So that's a problem, right? Now, um, you see there are two, uh, there's a horizontal axis, there's a vertical axis. The, the vertical axis is the support axis. The horizontal one is the challenge axis. So what a liberator does really well is they calibrate support and challenge based to fight for the highest good of the person that they are loving. Okay? So support is encouragement, boys. I'm with you, I'm here to help, I am a resource, I'm here to be your biggest cheerleader, that's support. Challenge is I am not afraid to ask you hard questions. I'm not afraid to call you up, we, we, not out, but up, because I want to see you become the, the person God has created you to be. So that, that's the challenge piece. And when a person is able to calibrate both of these well, to fight for the highest good of the person they're serving, the person they're serving becomes liberated. They become empowered to be all that God has designed them to be. And that's why that word liberate is green, because there's growth, there's development, right? All right, let's look at the other quadrants, because we're, none of us are naturally a liberator. We fall in these other quadrants naturally. Let's go to the protect quadrant. In this quadrant, you have a person that is high in encouragement and support, but low in challenge. Uh, when you read the word protector, don't think good, this is not good. Um, this, is, uh, this is really a toxic thing. Um, so what happens for those who live in the protector quadrant is they'll see things that a person's doing um, and they won't say anything, right? Because they're all encouragement and there's not challenge and they'll get frustrated with those things that person is doing. They continue not to say anything about it. And then the eighth time it happens, they blow up and then finally say something to the person <laughs> that's been doing things that are harmful to them and to other people themselves, you know, that sort of a thing. And so what ends up happening is the person that they're uh, attempting to love uh, they start to mistrust them because it's like you, this was going on for seven times 
and you were thinking this, but you were just giving me encouragement the whole time and you never spoke up and said anything, I feel like I can't trust you, right? And so the reason the word protect is yellow is because this is toxic. This really is toxic in a relationship. Okay. And it leads to a culture of entitlement and, and I already said mistrust because in this quadrant, uh, people will be like, you know what? Uh, so-and-so that is leading me or trying to love me, they'll just take care of this. They'll do it. They'll just, because that's what a protector does too. Instead of challenging somebody, They'll, they'll just start doing the stuff for them. All right, let's go to the abdicate quadrant. This is where there is no challenge or no support. This is, I don't care about you enough to either give you support or challenge. Like, I just don't care about you, right? Now, this is gray because it's just this blah culture of whatever. Leave me alone, I'll leave you alone, and it's just not good in a relationship, right? There are low expectations there. Now let's go to the dominator uh, quadrant. In this, so the, this is a person that um, is all challenge and very little to no support in the relationship. And so they have these standards that they're holding you to and they're driving you to, and yet there's no support. Um, and so what this creates is a culture of fear. This creates uh, a culture of manipulation. It's like, oh my goodness, I better do this because if I don't do this, the hammer's gonna come down on me. And the reason that's red is because there's blood in the water. Now, this is huge because Jesus was the ultimate liberator. Jesus was the ultimate liberator. He so well calibrated support and challenge to see people become who God created them to be, to fight for their highest good. Now, you need to ask yourself, what, where do I naturally lean? Because it's probably not liberator. Ask your spouse if you don't believe me. So some people are naturally protectors. Some people are naturally dominators. Some people just you know, start to abdicate in relationships. Um, so think about that. Now, let, let me uh, just briefly talk about, again, why the gospel helps us to be liberators. First, the gospel gives us a new Lord. And so when a Christian uh, you know, comes to faith in Jesus and they become a Christian, they have Jesus as the new Lord of their life. And now they have the one who will perfectly calibrate support and challenge in their life. There will never be a time in your life if you become a Christian or if you are a Christian that Jesus will not calibrate support and challenge perfectly to see you liberated to be all that God designed you to be. Jesus said in John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and I am known and, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus knows as our good shepherd when we need to be pushed and prodded along. He knows when we need to be encouraged and cheered on. His commitment to fight for our highest good is unwavering. It's unstoppable. It is never ceasing, always on. And he never grows tired or weary. And so he's always working for your highest good. You may tire, be tired of yourself, Christian, 
especially as you look at that support challenge matrix and you realize like, look, in my marriage and in my family, I'm a dominator. <clears throat> I have all these high expectations for my spouse and yet I give, give them very little encouragement. Not nearly enough for what they need or I'm that way with my children. Or I am a protector, I'm always doing stuff for my children and I'm never challenging them, never helping them to become independent and I'm not liberating them, right? We may grow tired of ourselves, but Jesus doesn't grow weary and tired of us. He's always fighting for our highest good. All right. Um, all other lords will eventually destroy you by making you more self-absorbed and by diminishing and by diminishing your ability to love. This is what all other lords, if you give yourself to them, they will do in your life. You make power, winning, success, influence your lord. Guess what your greatest nightmare is going to be? Humiliation. You're going to be fearful of being humiliated. And the people around you are going to feel used instead of liberated. And you're going to frequently erupt in rage. You'll live in the dominator quadrant of the support challenge matrix. If uh, approval or affirmation is your lord, your greatest nightmare is going to be rejection. That's what it will be. And, you, and people around you are going to feel smothered. And you will struggle with being a coward because you're going to live in that protector quadrant and you are going to struggle to give loving challenge to call people up. Make comfort, privacy, lack of stress or freedom your Lord. Your greatest nightmare is going to be demands on you and stress and the people around you are going to feel neglected and you're going to struggle with boredom you're going to live in that abdicator quadrant make control self-discipline certainty or standards your lord uncertainty will be your worst nightmare the people around you are going to feel condemned and you will be consumed with obsessive worry You'll either live in that protector or dominator quadrant, most likely the dominator quadrant. Only Jesus, as our Lord, liberates us to our full potential and helps us to be a liberator. All right, new identity. When a person becomes a Christian, they become a child of God and a co-heir with Christ, which means they get the inheritance that Jesus gets, which is they inherit the world, which is pretty awesome. Um... Another thing that we receive when we become a Christian in terms of our identity is we become an ambassador of King Jesus and his kingdom. And there is no more uh, powerful, great privilege and responsibility than to be able to speak on Jesus' behalf. Check out 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We have authority to call men and women and children to repentance, to receive Jesus as Lord so that they can be liberated. We are God's mouthpiece. We are his ambassadors. How about we've been given authority to make disciples of Jesus? Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus said to his disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What authority. Jesus has, his, based on his authority, he's given us authority to go make disciples. And when we understand this identity, we have a significance and a confidence that is very, very strong. Romans 8.31 declares, like, if God is for us, who or what can stand against us? Talk about a confidence. There also comes a confidence knowing that all of your past shame and guilt is forgiven. It is, for all intent and purposes, buried in the ground where Christ was buried. And so there's no condemnation in Christ. When a Christian becomes more secure in their new identity in Christ, they are more capable of loving themselves. When you think of that support challenge matrix, who are you to yourself? Are you a dominator to yourself? Are you a protector to yourself? Are you an abdicator to yourself? Think about that. I know tons of Christians that are complete dominators to themselves. <clears throat> They're constantly beating them up in their, in their own self-talk, beating themselves up. I'm horrible. I'm not good enough. I messed up again. See, you'll never be anything. Why even try? You'll fail. It's like this dominator script that runs inside of them. Who are you to yourself? Or are you this protector, right, that just justifies your actions all the time, always making excuses, right? Are you a liberator to yourself? Jesus is a liberator to you, so you can be a liberator to yourself. I have found that women in particular really struggle with the dominator <coughs> tendency in their self-talk. I found that out through my wife and her work with women mainly. All right, so as a Christian becomes more secure in their identity, they become more confident and more willing to fight for the highest possible good of other people, even when it requires personal sacrifice. Let's look at the new heart. The new heart that a person finds through the gospel. When a, when a heart grasps, and God allows the heart to grasp, that Jesus was the ultimate liberator for them, and he laid down his life to see them liberated, that changes the heart. It changes the heart radically. That heart becomes more full of gratitude and a new desire to love God supremely and to pass on what they have been freely given when they didn't deserve it. <coughs> now, this leads to this heart, this new heart, viewing people differently. Uh, viewing people that are different than them differently. That's what I mean. So, skin color, race, nationality, it no longer matters to the person whose heart has been radically changed by the gospel. Every human being is made in God's image, and so there is not this, I'm better than this next person. Every person is made in God's image who Jesus went to the cross for, and so, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love 
these people made in God's image who died for. And so these remnants in our heart of racism, of pride, of classism, judgmentalism start to radically be dismantled in the new heart that Christ has won over. Um, and with this heart, a person is able to love people, well, even those who are radically different than them, right? All right, new power. The Holy Spirit empowers Christians to live a life of love by giving them opportunities, energy, and wisdom to liberate others. When I'm working with an individual, um, I often sense the Holy Spirit empowering me to ask questions that I would have never thought of, give me insight that I would not had with my own resources, that then gives direction to the conversation and to the person. Just last week, I was leading a group of leaders, and this one leader expressed an issue that she was having, and I had no idea what to do with it. I'm thinking internally, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to do here. But I just sense the Holy Spirit uh, prompting me to ask for, just keep asking questions. Just keep asking good questions. And eventually, we were able to discover what was at the root of her issue, and it was an aha for her, and she moved forward in confidence uh, to address the issue. You'll find this as well. Um, we have a new power. The Holy Spirit gives us a new power to love people and see them liberated. Wisdom, energy, insight, opportunities. All right, new family that a person receives through the gospel. I'm sure you've heard the saying, uh, you'll become the company you keep. And uh, I think it's true. And the Bible says it's true as well. It, it attests to this truth. Check out Proverbs 13:20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. 1 Corinthians 15:33 says, do not be deceived. The evil company corrupts good habits. What's awesome about being a part of God's family is you become a part of a community where everybody in that family, they should be if they're not, is learning how to be a liberator to themselves and to other people. And so you can be encouraged in that. You can, be, uh, you can learn like what are best practices on how we do that. Um, I remember one of my first... Uh, Memories with a guy in our church, Jim Curzon, some of you know. Um, I was in high school, and uh, I was at his house, and dinner was made, and after dinner, Jim got up and started doing dishes and cleaning up the kitchen. That was not, that did not happen in my family, right? My dad did a lot of good things. That was not one of them. But just by being around him, I saw how a husband should love their family and love their wife, right? And that's not the only way, but it was, wow, he's like being a liberator in that moment. I didn't have that terminology, but it was, it was powerful. Um, I just spoke not too long ago with a pastor friend about raising young men. Um, and he's a pastor at a church, and he's in charge of discipleship and, and uh, the family ministries there. And um, we talked, he gave me a book that I read that's really big on rites of passage with your, with your sons. So, um, and that led to me doing a trip with Elijah 
um, when he was going into sixth grade so that we could talk about important stuff and I could invest in him and um, the people in his life, the men in his life wrote letters to him to encourage his strengths and to challenge him in Christ and it was powerful, powerful. But the point is that this is all because of being around God's family where people are looking to be liberators. We need the community of God to help us know how to do it well. New future. When a person becomes a Christian, they are guaranteed a spot in God's new world that will be free from Satan, sin, evil, death, and suffering forever. This is phenomenal because if you miss opportunities in this life, guess what? They're going to be made up for in the next life. And so we have seen Christians over the centuries make tremendous sacrifices in this life, sacrifices to their own pleasure and comfort so that they can liberate other people because they know in the new world they're going to have opportunities for an eternity. Um, and so, like, we can, like, forego a certain income. We can forego going on those trips we've always dreamed of going on to liberate people because in the next life, we're going to be able to explore the new world as much as we want forever. Um, and so, this helps us to really press into love. Um, Another thing here is like we're, we can sacrifice to love because as Paul said in Romans 8, 18 through 25, you know, knowing that the new world is coming, he wrote, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one hope? For that, uh, what, for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So he's like, the sufferings that I'm enduring right now is, is Paul sought to liberate other people. Think about all the things that Paul gave up in order to be a liberator. And because he was willing to do that, it's reached us. 2,000 years later. That's remarkable. Did Paul go on these amazing retirement trips? No. He was being flogged, he was being beaten, he was shipwrecked, you know? He, he knew what the new world was coming, right? Okay, um, so let me just say this uh, as a wrap-up. This is application for you. Be a liberator in your life. Be a liberator. So here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to list the top, I'd write this down if you have paper. If you need to screenshot this, I don't even know if you can do that. But if you think you can remember it, great. List the top five relationships in your life. That's the first step. I want you then to express gratitude for them in your life. Okay? So as part of Gratitude Sunday, like what are you grateful for about these top five relationships in your life? That's not on the screen. That part. I meant to add it and I didn't. 
Then I want you to identify how you can encourage these five relationships in the next two months. How do you bring support to them in the next two months? And then I want you to identify one person on the list that you need to have a difficult conversation with. And I want you to speak the truth and love to that person. And I want you to give yourself a deadline for that conversation. Um, one quote here is, it is tough to step it to, I think it's, it's tough to step up. Maybe I didn't type up. It is tough to step up and challenge those we love. But in the end, which is more unloving, to let a loved one walk unchecked down the road to pain and disaster, or to risk relational harmony for the sake of their long-term development and well-being? So, fourthly, think about how else you might fight for the highest good of each of the people on your list through giving them support and challenge. And identify them. Fifthly, who are you going to be accountable to for carrying out what you just thought up? Because here's the thing. Information is not going to transform you completely and wholly. You can come here. You can listen to the sermon. Great sermon. Leave these doors and nothing changes in your life. You just wasted 30 minutes of your time. You could be doing other things with your time. And so it's information plus application that leads to transformation. Will you apply this? Will you be a doer of the word instead of merely a hearer? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the ultimate liberator. Thank you that you have come and you laid down your life to fight for our highest good, which was rescue from sin, Satan, and death. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you call us to join you in your mission to see others liberated uh, from these same opponents so that their God-given potential can be fully unlocked and so that they can experience the joy of knowing you and being known by you and joining you on your mission. Uh, we love you, Jesus. Thank you for the gospel. Um, as we move into communion, Lord, I pray that you would continue to minister to us and speak to our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.